Blog Talk Radio. Happy St. Patrick's Day, and welcome to our 11th episode of The Ivy, as we'll be discussing Cubs news and notes and how the past six spring training games have went in the past week. We'll also be discussing the new trade deadline, along with many new rules being put in place in 2019 and 2020, as well as who will be the closer if Pedro Strope isn't ready by opening day. Finally, we will also have our third segment of Cub of Yesteryear, as we'll be talking about third baseman Aramis Ramirez. We talk about it all on our 11th episode of EIB. Bipolar with the check. I should put some crazy around my neck. Once again, happy St. Patrick's Day and welcome into the 11th episode of the Ivy. As myself, Thomas, and our partner, Max, will be here with you for the next 60 minutes to dive into everything Cubs-related. If you like the Cubs, you've come to the right place, and we're extremely grateful that you took some time out of your Sunday morning to join us here. Max, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. All right, good to hear. Well, today we'll be talking about some Cubs updates, including a dive into the Cubs' last week of spring training games, and then we'll discuss new rules being implemented into the MLB this coming year and in 2020. Also, we'll wrap it up with our third edition of the Cub of Yesteryear, where we'll be highlighting third baseman Aramis Ramirez. Lastly, make sure to call into the show by calling the number 845-277-9345. That's 845-277-9345 to join us ask a question, or comment on anything Cubs-related. And also, for more of the Ivy content, be sure to head over to our website at baseballpodcastnet.com. And also, don't forget about Stubyard. If you're looking to go to any games upcoming, whether it's the end of spring training or opening day for the Cubs, use promo code BPN10 on Stubyard for 10% off any tickets for every event. So, Max, today our first topic, as has been the last couple of weeks here, it's spring training news and notes, and we're going to start with uh, last Sunday's game, March 10th against the Milwaukee Brewers. I'll let you uh, open it up. Yeah, so um, our last game, March 10th, 
um, versus the Brewers. We lost seven to five. Uh, Christian Adams hit a three-run triple in the third inning, which was a part of a four-run inning. Um, that was mainly the big part of the game. The Cubs blew, blew a five-nothing lead, giving up seven unanswered runs. Um, notable performances from that game: David Bodie went one for three with a run scored and a walk. Wilson Contreras went one for two with an RBI and a hit. Brad Brock went an inning with a hit and no runs allowed. Brandon Kinsler went an inning with a hit and a run allowed. Tawaza went two-thirds of an inning with zero hits and zero runs allowed. And Dylan Maples went a third of an inning, walking two guys and striking out one. Yeah, um, definitely wasn't the greatest uh, that game. Obviously, like you said, we were up 5-0, giving us a 7 on answer. I know those runs came later. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't a huge deal. Who started that game, by the way, Max? Um, you know, I I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. Let me look it up real quick. Um, uh, trying to think. I can't find it here. If you if you if you want to look it up while I'm doing the next game, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, but the Cubs then had, I believe, their first off day, right, Max, um, on Monday? Of yeah, spring. I believe so. Yeah. So, yeah, it was their, their first off day, so that was a little uh, different. Um, and then they played the Reds on Tuesday. I want to say this was a night game. I'm not positive, though. Uh, but the Cubs played a night game uh, Tuesday, March 12th. Against the Reds, they did lose that game. Uh, Tyler Chatwood, I know we discussed him last week, Max. Uh, and I think we might have jinxed it a little bit, uh, but he had his first uh, kind of real bad, not great outing. Uh, Chadwick went one in the third inning, giving up uh, four runs total. It was three earned, or sorry, two earned runs. He also gave up three walks, which I know that last week I remember stating uh, that he uh, was getting those walks down, uh, but three walks and only one strikeout, so that wasn't great. Uh, and uh, the rest of the game, the Cubs, you know, they were down 7-0 before they scored their first run. Uh, the only Cubs runs came from uh, Philip Evans, RBI double, and Winton Bernard, two-run single in the ninth to uh, Winton Bernard. Uh, I know that he had a great week this last week. And other notable performances for the Reds game uh, was Johnny Field going two for three with a run scored. CJ Edwards with an inning, no runs and a strikeout. Um and Kyle Ryan also struggled out of the pen, uh, along with Chatwood. Obviously, uh, Kyle Ryan gave up four hits and two earned and two innings of work. And the Cubs dropped to 11-8 and eight on the spring with that loss, while Cincinnati improved to just 5-10. and 10. Uh, Next up is Oakland. So, Oakland, March 13th, um, last Wednesday. Um, the Cubs had lost 12-11. to 11. Um, The Cubs led 11-8 to eight after the top half of the eighth inning. Um, but the A's, the A's ended up scoring two runs apiece in the last two at-bats off of George Contos and Mike Skirsky. Um I mean, it was kind of a bad loss, but it was, I mean, it was pretty good seeing that um, the guys could put runs on the board, especially after the loss to the Reds the day before. And um, so notable performances from that day. Um, Christian Adams went one for three with two RBI, two runs, a walk, and his third homer of the spring. Um, Ian Happ went two for four with a run and an RBI. David Bodie went one for three with two RBI, a run scored, and a walk. Um, Oakland scored six runs in the third to give them a 7-4 lead. David Bodie hit a two-run homer in the fourth to tie the game at seven. 
three RBI singles from Ryan Court, Johnny Field, and Ian Happ in the fifth to give the Cubs a 10-7 lead. Um, Mark Zagunis also went two for four with two runs scored. John Lester went two and two-thirds innings with seven hits allowed and seven in runs with two walks and three Ks. Um, a pretty bad day for him, which was also an off day too. Um, you don't you don't usually see that much from him. So, I mean, it, obviously we know it's just spring, but it's it's never good to see a guy give up seven runs in two and two-thirds innings. But a few no, a few good performances out of the bullpen. Steve Ciszek threw an inning, no runs, one K and a walk, and Brad Brock also threw a scoreless inning with only one hit allowed. Yeah, and before we go on to the next game, Matt, I want to discuss a little bit about John Lester because I think it's it's relatively concerning at this point to me. Um, I get it; it's spring training, but four games uh, now has about a little bit over a strikeout per inning, which isn't bad. Um, that's nothing really to to stop at. But a nine a 9.53 ERA, barely sub ten. Um, and I get it. Once again, it's spring training, but 11 innings and, you know, over a nine-and-a-half ERA, what do you make of that, Max? And for me, it's definitely concerning, considering that's supposed to be um, our opening day starter and our ace. I mean, Because like no you other aces have those numbers, you know what I mean, like in spring training. At least I don't think, at least I don't think they do. Yeah, but, I mean, for me, I don't think that – I mean, personally, I know we've talked about it on past episodes where um, mm-hmm. where John Lester's FIP and – I mean, really his ERA is overlooked at and um, people only see his ERA where his FIP was, I mean, a lot worse than his ERA showed. So what that really shows me is that guys are scoring off of Lester more than they did last season, which makes it – I mean – Still, his ERA is crazy. Whatever, I don't remember what you said. It was in the tens, so wasn't it? Yeah, nine five three. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, I think we can both say that like that's not going to happen in the season. But it's still not yeah. like it's still not pretty to see that he's giving up more runs than usual to, I mean, some major league guys and some minor league guys too. So maybe it's just um. I mean, maybe it's just get, getting started in the year, and maybe it's just, like, working. I haven't watched any of his pitching yet, but maybe it's just working up to control. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, it, could be yeah. some, it could be something to worry about, but, I mean, we'll see how he pitches opening day. I mean, I'm not even yeah, sure I, mean, I would. Go there's, ahead. There's a lot of time. There's a lot of time, too, uh, left because the Cubs – uh, as you know, that these MLB teams uh, and the managers, Joe Madden will give these guys a couple of runs at uh, five, six innings, uh, kind of those tune-ups, and I think those will be really important to watch uh, with Lester especially. But uh, do you have anything else to say about that, or should we move on? No, I think we should move on. Okay. So the next game for the Cubs was March 14th against the Rangers. This one was all about you, Darvish, in the bullpen. Uh, you Darvish, uh, against his former team, he started the game. He did give up a first-inning run, but ended up finishing with a pretty good line, Max. Uh, he had four innings, three hits, the one run in the first, uh, only two walks across those four innings, and then an impressive five strikeout. Uh, unlike Lester, he has a great ERA at 245 so far this spring. 
Um, and then as for the bullpen, we saw five innings, five strong innings uh, from uh, – one second here. We saw five strong innings from Brian Dunstein, Brandon Kinsler, Dwayne Underwood Jr., uh, who we had on the podcast earlier uh, this season, Rowan Wick, and then James Norwood earned his first save of the year with a scoreless inning and two strikeouts. Uh, the only Cubs run in this one uh, came from, uh, let's see, no one scored. Let's see, after trailing 1-0 in the first, Kyle Schwarber uh, knocked in Chris Bryant with the RBI single, and then no one scored until the eighth inning. Uh, it was Ryan Court's go-ahead and eventually game-winning, Zach by, uh, which scored Zach Short. Uh, and I'll let you get into the next game uh, between the Cubs and the White Sox. Yes, March 15th. This was a uh, Friday Friday game. Um, the Cubs beat the White Sox 11-9. Um, overall, not a great performance from the pitching side of it. Um, they allowed nine runs. Cole Hamels, um, he went three and two-thirds, allowing five hits and five earned runs with three walks, four Ks, and a, and a homer. Um, he struggled for the first time all spring, and those were also his first earned runs allowed all spring, too. So, I mean, maybe it was just an off day, like we had said about last year, um, because other than mm-hmm. that, he's he's pitched pretty well throughout the rest of the spring. Um, the rest of the bullpen, well, a few of the other guys out of the bullpen looked well. Um, Tawaza went an inning with no runs allowed and two Ks. Dylan Maples went an inning with no hits, no runs, a walk, and a K. And Dakota Meeks went an inning with no hits, no runs, and a K. Um, Nico Horner also had an RBI double in the eighth to score Trent Giambroni. Randy Rosario struggled out of the pen, giving up three earned runs and four hits. Um, Things haven't looked pretty so far for him this spring. I mean, I'm not sure, Thomas, if you would say if he's fighting for a roster spot or not. But, I mean, due to all the injuries right now, I think that um, I think that he is most likely going to make the roster, but I mean, who is those guys? Yes. Randy Rosario. Who is it? Randy Rosario. Yeah, I think I think he will make the roster. Yeah, I agree. I just think, I mean, once those other guys come back, I think it's a possibility that he is sent down to, I mean, Iowa because I think I I don't know if you can see this or not, but I think it's pretty hard for Theo and Jed and Joe to just um just cut the contracts of Brian Dunsing and um, Brandon Kinsler from the team. And I mean, I I don't remember if you remember, I don't know if you remember or not, but back in 2017, Brian Dunsing was great. I mean, he was, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I just think it's hard for them to release a guy like that. And even Brandon Kinsler too, he was good too. So, I mean, I think Randy Rosario could really be in Iowa if everyone's healthy on this roster. Yeah, I, I really like I I think Rosario still has it in them, uh, definitely. But uh, and then yesterday the Cubs last game of the week uh, yesterday on Saturday it marked their third straight win for the Cubbies. Uh, and notable performances in that one was Chris Bryant going two for three with a run scored. Anthony Rizzo, one for two with two ribbies, a run scored, and a walk. Jason Hayward was 0 for one, but he had a run scored uh, and two walks, along with an RBI. And then David Bodie, uh, he was two for three with two ribbies, a solo home run in the fifth inning. The Cubs got three straight RBI singles from Taylor Davis, Ian Happ, and David Bodie in that game. Uh, Kyle Hendricks started yesterday, went three and a third, five hits, one earned, and two Ks. And Tyler Chatwood, he did bounce back after that uh, terrible start. 
Uh, he went one and two-thirds innings with a strikeout. No hits and no walks. Which that, was, that was impressive as the Cubs beat the Diamondbacks 7-1 to one yesterday. And uh, the, today the Cubs play the Colorado Rockies at 4.05 Eastern time. It'll be left-handed pitcher Jose Quintana going up against right-handed pitcher Chad Bettis. Uh, as for that, let's get into an ad right now, and then uh, we're going to talk about some new rules that the MLB's enforced. Tune in this Wednesday to Pinstripe Talk at 5 o'clock. We go over everything going on in the land of the New York Yankees. We discuss Aaron Hicks and a lingering back injury and what it could mean to begin the season for the Bombers. We talk about Luis Severino being out until at least May 1st, and how that affects Yankees' rotation now and going forward. And finally, we talk about Major League Baseball and the rule changes that will affect the 2019-2020 seasons and beyond. All this and much more going on in the land of New York Yankees. All this and more on Pinstripe Talk, Wednesday, 5 o'clock. Be there, Yankee fans. Welcome back into the 11th episode of the IV here on Sunday morning. It's about 11.15 Eastern Time. Don't forget to call into the show at 845-277-9345. That's 845-277-9345. I know Max and I would love to have you guys on the show. If you have any questions or comments, we always enjoy taking those callers. But Max, as for our second topic today, I'm going to let you open it up. Uh, I think uh, the plan here for the next 15 minutes or so uh, if Mark, or correct me if I'm wrong, just going through uh, some of these new MLB rules. Yeah. All right, so All right. I'm going to let you open it up with whatever one you want to talk about. Okay, so we'll start off with what uh, rule changes are being changed for the 2019 season, so this upcoming year. So to start inning breaks, um, in local games, the time will be moved from two two minutes and five seconds down to just two minutes. And in national games, it will be moved from two minutes and 25 seconds down to two minutes as well. Um, I mean, we can say our thoughts on this too. Uh, there's not many thoughts to say on this. But once again, I just think it's Manfred trying to speed up the game. And for me, I mean, speeding up the game 30 seconds, I mean, yeah. I don't I don't really see how that's that beneficial. But, I mean, it's like what yeah, I because- really – yeah, I mean, what is that? Five. So in local games, it's a difference of five seconds. Nine innings, that's forty-five second difference. And then you take national games, twenty-five seconds uh, difference times nine times nine innings for inning breaks. I mean, what what are we doing here? That's two minutes. Like, I, yeah, I don't yeah. get it. I don't yeah. get it. Like, what what can people do extra? You know, you're saving yeah. two minutes. Okay, you can go brush your teeth. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, overall, I think it's pretty silly, and, I mean, it, it is what it is, but whatever. I mean, and what's, break- what's the penalty, too? Like, I guess I don't know. Like, if they yeah. go, you know, two minutes, ten seconds, like, what is it, you know, a ball? If you're yeah. pitching, you know, it's a ball, and, and not, like, I don't I don't know yeah. how it can really be enforced. Like, we're arguing yeah. seconds now. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. Yeah, so, uh, the next rule change... Um, the maximum number of mound visits per team will be reduced from six to five. Um, I mean, I'm not sure I saw I one think that game last okay. season. Yeah, I'm not. I was gonna say I'm not sure I saw one game last season where a team even reached six six um mound yeah. visits. 
So, I mean, it's really not a big deal. But once again, it's Manfred trying to speed up the game so people don't. So, I mean, Joe Madden doesn't rush out there six times instead of five or five times well, instead thing, of six, whatever. Yeah, and here's the thing, Max, that makes me mad about this whole thing because I know it's been such a big topic is that, okay, there's one thing, there's, there's a fine line, a fine difference between speeding up a game and trying to get to speed up a game, okay? Because yeah. they're trying to speed up a game that in reality they're only speeding it up seconds worth, like we said just before, um, with those like five extra seconds, like they're just trying to make an effort towards it, but it doesn't really matter because it's not making a big difference. So they're trying to like act like they're doing something great, but it's just ruining everything. Yeah. I mean, it's, I really don't see how them cutting, cutting off 10 minutes of a game is going to change. Like, if you don't want to come to the if you don't want to come for to the three hour three and a half hour game to watch the game, then either one leave early or two don't buy tickets. Like if you don't want to go, then watch it on TV. Watch the half the game that you want to watch on TV, and just do that. Like, yeah, and there's there's plenty of other channels on TV. You don't have to yeah. watch the game. Yeah. I mean, just to me, it seems like if you really like. If people were really in love with watching the game, you would like I get that people work and do stuff like that, but like the the start of the game doesn't change, like the time doesn't change. Only the end of the yeah. game does. So like it it doesn't make very much sense to me, but I, I and I don't really see like why Manfred is changing it as well. Like is Manfred like not like does he not want to sit his, in his office for like three and a half hours instead of three? Like, it it really doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, so, let's go into the next one, uh, trade deadline. Uh, the August uh, trade waivers have been removed, as there's only now one trade deadline. Uh will remain July 31st. However, trade waivers will be eliminated once again. Uh, players may be placed and claimed on outright waivers after July 31st, but players may not be traded after that date. Uh, Max, what do you think about that first? And then I'll give my thoughts. Um, I kind of like this one because, like, then, like, you know, like, if you need something, like, you're like, okay, I have to mm-hmm. get it by July 31st. Where, mm-hmm. like, a- as you saw, we got um, Daniel Murphy in August. So, it, I mean, and we still, like, did we, yeah, we, just, we did trade someone for him. I don't remember who. It was some minor league guy, I'm pretty sure. But, um, I mean, really, it just then you know what each team has at the deadline, and you also know what each team, I mean, really needs, like what your team needs. And, like, if you don't get them, then you don't get them unless you, unless someone releases a good guy, which doesn't happen very often. Yeah, and also, I agree with you. I like this one because in an era, in an era, uh, sorry, in an era where uh, we see players always moving, you know, there's there's constant change with teams, um, I think it's good for once that finally we kind of cut back on that. There really hasn't been, like, a backlash on that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Like, all the major sports have really pushed, you know, like, how fluid um, all rosters are. Uh, But I think it's a good thing for the league that teams assess all at the same time what they need. And everyone kind of has an even playing field because, uh, you know, if an injury happens, an injury is part of the game late in the year. 
And um, you have to deal with that with what's on your squad. It's much like uh, any anyone that plays fantasy football out there, uh, you know, with uh, a trade deadline in that, you know, you lose a player, you can't you can't uh, trade for anyone, you can't pick up anyone on waivers in the last couple of weeks of season. I think it's a good thing, um, and I really like this one. Yeah. So our next one is um, a joint committee. The MLB and the MLB Players Association will form a joint committee to study other potential changes. I mean, like, cool, I guess. I don't, like, I don't fully understand this one because, like, who, like, fully made the rule changes before? Like, was it just Manfred making the changes alone? Like, that seems yeah. a little silly to me that it was. But, I mean, yeah, so, I like, I'm kind of sort of means. Yeah, I'm kind of yeah. happy about this one because then it's like you have other people's opinions instead of Manfred trying to speed up the game five seconds. But, yeah. Yeah, so in the next one we have uh, the All-Star Game, regarding the All-Star Game. And uh, the All-Star Game fan voting will be conducted now in two rounds. During the quote-unquote primary round, each club will nominate one player uh, per eligible position along with three outfielders who will be voted on by fans. And then in late June or early June, uh, a quote-unquote election day will be held in which the top three vote-getters at each position in each league during the primary round, uh, including the top nine outfielders, will be voted on by fans during a time period to determine the All-Star Game starters. Um, as for me, uh, I, I think it's fine. I think it's increasing fan engagement, which is always positive. Um, what, do you, what do you think about this, Max? And also further details... Uh, will be announced in April, so it's not set in stone yet. Um, I think this one is a, I mean, I think it's a little bit better than it was before because, like, when you have, like, just one, like, quote-unquote election day, like you said, then you have, like, mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so for me, like, I really don't like it because you still have to, like, each team still has to turn in, like, their three outfielders and one player at each position, but say, like, a mm-hmm. surprise guy comes up, like, and he, like, has, like, stats to be an all-star. Like, and, he, and it's, like, a rookie. But, like, they didn't have him. And it, it happened last season. I don't remember with who. But And also, it, create, it creates a little bit of, like, tension, doesn't it? Because, like, what if you have, like you said, like, okay, the perfect example with the Cubs, our own team. What if we have, you know, four outfielders that, like, uh, you know, with, you know, one of – uh, Ian Happ or something has like a great year, and all of a sudden like the team has to decide on three outfielders. Like, doesn't that create some kind of like tension there? Yeah, I mean, and then like even to the player too, they're like they look at the team. I don't know who chooses. Like, is it Theo that choose? Do you know or not? Uh, I would assume it would probably be like uh, it would probably like every yeah, kind of command. Probably like okay. the. the Top three people like Theo and uh, you know the, the and top. I thought, yeah, I'm sure they'd like talk to Joe too and be like, I mean, I'm sure it's not yeah. like a huge deal, but like when the players see like, like hey, if like so say like Theo picked Schwarber, Hayward and Ian Happ, Almora sees that as well either one so Ian Happ is having a better season than me, and some players see that mm-hmm. as well, like, that's okay, like, I get that, and I see that, but they're still splitting time, which which will most likely happen. Or they're seeing it as, yeah. well, they're favoriting ha- – I mean, it really doesn't make all that sense. 
mm-hmm. mean, because it can kind of it can kind of mess with your team chemistry. But I mean, I do think it increases fan engagement, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. So I mean, yeah. All right. Um, and then other things about the All Star game: All Star bonus payments will be given to the top three vocators at each position in each league. For me, I don't get it. Why? Why do these guys need more money? Um, yeah. Why would we pay? I mean, it should be a privilege to be in the All Star game. Yet alone, now you're getting. I get it. So uh, the NFL, they pay them when they win. But don't we already have the MLB All Star game rookie to car? Why do they all need more money and more bonuses? Yeah. I mean, like, the only way this makes sense to me is if you have, like, a guy like, um, oh, I don't even know who. Like, I, I don't know how much Javi is making. Is Javi still making, like, in the $1,000 this season? Is he still making, like, yeah. only 670 Yeah, so, like, that makes yeah. sense to hit for him. Like, if he goes out there yeah. and wins it, like, like, I see that. But if, like, Bryce Harper goes out and wins it, like, oh, what is that well, pocket cash that he could drop on the ground and it wouldn't even matter? Let's hope that it goes to charity, which I assume probably most of it will. Yeah. Um, but we got about a couple more minutes, Max. Uh, we're not going to get into the 2020 stuff. I think we'll save that possibly for uh, next next week. Um, but there's a couple more things here. Also, uh, the top six outfielders get bonuses as well, in addition to the three uh, uh, position players. Also, both clubs will start the 10th inning of the All-Star game. Uh, and each subsequent inning with a runner on second base. Um, I haven't seen this yet, and I kind of like it, but also why? Yeah, I feel like I feel like you know what I mean. Get, what? Yeah, I yeah. I feel like what Manfred's trying to do is speed up the All Star Game. Like, are you joking? Like, like yeah. Nelson. I don't. I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you remember this, but like a few years ago, Nelson Cruz was like taking pictures with Joe West at home plate. Like, what are they yeah. gonna do? Like, ban that from the All Star game too? Like, I don't know. I just feel like it's supposed to be fun, and I. I just. I feel like mm-hmm. what they're trying to do too is see how it goes, because then like mm-hmm. eventually that might get into the season, and if it does, I mean, I think both of us can agree on this. Like, it'd be like totally silly. It totally. Like eliminates like strategy for each team, and I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I don't like it. But yeah. All right. And then the last thing before we get into the fancast ad is the home run derby. As most of you already know, total player prize money for the derby will be increased to two and a half million. The winner uh, will receive one million. I've heard a lot of chatter, a lot of rumors about this. That most, if not all, of everyone that wins this will most likely give it to charity. Um, which leads me to believe that those bonuses may also go that way. Um, but once again, just more money in this sport. Um, and, you know, money can create a lot of problems. Um, so got anything else to add on that, Max? Or uh, should we get into the bank as that and then talk about the Cubs closure situation? Yeah, I'm good with this. All right, let's bank as that now. Tune in. This Wednesday, to Pinstripe Talk at 5 o'clock, we go over everything going on in the land of the New York Yankees. We discuss Aaron Hicks and a lingering back injury and what it could mean to begin the season for the Bombers. We talk about Luis Severino being out until at least May 1st, and how that affects the Yankees' rotation now and going forward. 
And finally, we talk about Major League Baseball and the rule changes that will affect the 2019-2020 seasons and beyond. All this and much more going on in the land of New York Yankees. All this and more on Pinstripe Talk, Wednesday, 5 o'clock. Be there, Yankee fans. Welcome back into the 11th episode of the IV here on Sunday morning. Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day to everyone. Make sure to call into Shelby the number uh, 845-277-9345 to join us on the show, ask a question and comment on anything but Matt. Uh, now we're going to get into the third topic today. Uh, about halfway through the show, and uh, it is about Pedro Strope and the closer situation. As we know that uh, most likely he uh, will not be ready for opening day. Uh, and I'll let you give your thoughts first on what you think the club's closer situation looks like, um, and dive into that. So, like you said, um, Pedro Strope is my, most likely out for opening day. Um, there is a slight chance that he is here. He hasn't necessarily been ruled out, but I think so. Um, as most of us have seen, the chances of him pitching in Texas um, aren't very likely. I think we'd rather want to get him healthy if that's waiting an extra week or two weeks, whatever it is. Um, and for me, I think the one guy who could really fill in for Pedro and Mora well is Carl Edwards Jr. Um, I think we can both agree on this. Um, Carl has changed his pitching um, stance this off season to look more like Kenley Jansen. Um, Carl last season had a 260 ERA with a 2.93 FIP with a 131 whip. Um, his, his stance will most likely help him have more control over the ball, which will lead to less walks. Um, he had 38 last season, which led to a 5.5 walks per nine innings. Uh, that's really not that good. But I mean, I think I really think that Carl can exceed what people think about him he's one of for I I really don't understand it like a lot of people hate on him and like blame him for like us losing the division which is silly to me but I really think that he can prove people wrong this season and I mean I I, I don't remember how how long Moro is supposed to be out but I mean if Pedro Strope is out like longer than expected if that's what like three weeks or even two weeks too um I, I think that Carl Edwards would be both of our top choices for the fill-in spot at closer. Yeah, as for uh, the first, your first question, uh, Mar was expected to miss the first month of the season. Uh, Pedro Strope's basically uh, doubtful, I guess you could say, um, for opening day with his hamstring strain. Um, and, yeah, like you said, uh, right now, in the dock, I have C.J. Edwards um, being my number one replacement uh, for opening day, along with you. Um, for me, it's time for C.J. really to kind of step up as a household name around the league. I know that um, avid baseball fans and baseball watchers know about him, but I don't think enough know about him uh, around the league. I think this is a perfect opportunity for him to step up in a closer role and uh, I, th- that, with that being said, though, I would not at all be surprised uh, if C.J. Edwards struggled as closer. You mentioned some of those numbers with walks. Um, but I think you should get first priority over other guys, um, maybe like C. Shack or Brandon Kinster, which I'll get into later. Um, but last year, you know, C.J. with, with a very impressive uh, 260 ERA, um, 
He surrendered a 190 batting average to his opponents last year. And uh, just a few a few other stats for CJ uh, last year uh, involved him having, uh, let's see here, a 1.31 whip, uh, 67 strikeouts across, uh, let's see how many innings here, 52 innings, so over a strikeout in innings. Um, I do think he's the first guy in line, Matt, and uh, as for my second guy, uh, second in line for me would uh, be Steve Cishek. Um, I think that his sidearm approach to grant him success, uh, kind of in a funky closer role uh, for the first couple of weeks, uh, if Strope is out. And also, Cishek had 25 saves. Now, he did have 32 opportunities. Uh, so that's not great, but in 2016 he had those 25 saves as a Seattle Mariner. Uh, so we possibly uh, he possibly still got a little bit of that left in him. And last year he had a 2.18 ERA uh, with the Cubs in 80 games. Uh, he works uh, every other day for the Cubs, and he also had 25 holds, uh, which I think is an important number, important stat, uh, because he it shows that he's used to dealing out there. Um, with the lead um, in, in big in big situations, uh, who would your second guy in line be behind CJ Um My second choice, it's an interesting one. Uh, right-handed pitcher mm-hmm. Dylan Maples. Um, we've seen him a few times in the MLB, but he's mainly been stuck in the minors due to um, control issues. Last season in AAA, he had a 2.79 ERA, um, a 3.26 RA9, um, which is all runs allowed per innings pitched. Um, in 38 and two-thirds innings pitch with 10 saves. Um, I think for him, it's mainly, I mean, if he can figure out his control issues, I really think, like, he could be a big threat out of the bullpen. Um, I, I mm-hmm. don't know if you've paid a lot of attention to him, Thomas, but, I mean, he's been, yeah, he, yeah he's been in our in our minor league system for eight, eight or nine years now. I, I believe it's eight, so, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I have it. He, I have it since 2012, so seven. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if he can really hit this year, I mean, I think it'd be a huge add to our bullpen. I mean, I I I remember seeing him in 2017. We I don't remember seeing him in 2016, but I'm pretty sure I saw him in 2017 with the Cubs. But yep. So he his uh his debut was in 2017. Uh. He was he appeared in six games. Uh, oh, wasn't great numbers uh, over a ten ERA, and last year in nine games with uh, over an eleven ERA. Um, but like you said, those minus numbers. When you look at it, twenty sixteen nine saves and eleven opportunities. Twenty seventeen thirteen saves and fifteen opportunities, and twenty eighteen ten saves and twelve opportunities for a career in the minors of thirty four saves and forty one opportunities. I don't think it's a I don't think it's um, a, a terrible pick, Max, and I, I do think that there is uh, some potential there. So I think that you should really stand by that because um, I haven't heard that name mentioned really, and uh, maybe you could maybe you could shed some light on that uh, in the future. But uh, it's something you can take credit for because I, I honestly haven't uh, heard heard his name surrounded by that. But the numbers back it up, at least the Myers numbers do. Yeah. And then uh who is your third guy, Max? Uh, my third guy, guy is yeah. yeah, my third guy is uh Steve Cishek, who you had second. 
Um, it was okay. pretty much what you said. I mean, it was hard putting Maples over him, but I think, like, how good Cishek did last season, like, with the 25 holds, and um, he was only four for seven in save opportunities last season. Um, but like you said, too, in 2016, he was 25 for 32. So, I mean, like, in the past, I think the Cubs have had a lot of issues with um, blown saves. And I think, the like, blow, like, to me, like, when you blow a save, like, really, that's losing a game. Because if you wouldn't have blown the save, you really would have won the game. So, I mean, I think I'd rather have a guy out there who could prove him, like, okay, Dylan Maples isn't a top option, but, I mean, if he can, like, even just letting him throw two or three games out there in the closure role, or even just pitching it all in the ninth, just to see how he does if you're up five runs, just to see how he does. Because, I mean, I think that's that will really lead him to prove himself. And another reason I put Maples over C-Shack, too, is C-Shack um, had a 3.45 FIP last season, um, which is nearly – a whole run and a half over his um, ERA. So, I mean, it was kind of like the John Lester talk, but it's a diff- it's a little different for bullpen guys uh, just because they pitch um, less innings at a time. So, I mean, it's not as big of a deal, but it still shows, like, that I, – I don't know how to explain it. But, like, to me, I, I mean, the 25 holds really shows it for me. And, I mean, I think I'd rather have him pitching in the eighth inning than the ninth inning. Yeah, I, I see that. The thing that I was saying before, the 25 holds, is kind of like the same argument, but just the fact that he's pitching in high leverage situations already. Uh, so, you know, when you're down to – already down your top two closers to begin the year, uh, you know, 25 saves isn't the worst thing to try to try to replicate into actual – sorry, 25 holds. Uh, is it the worst thing trying to replicate into turning that number into safe? Yeah, definitely. Um, and then my, as for my third guy, a little bit of a of a risky pick, obviously here, uh, but it's gonna be right on the pitcher Brandon Kingsley for me. Um, you know, I still believe in his talent. He's only 34 years old. Sorry, not only 34 years old. He is 34 <laughs> years old. And um, but you know, we saw it uh, in 2016, 2017. Uh, 2016, you know, 17 saves and 20 opportunities uh, with with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, I remember going to games because I, I lived in Minnesota, and Kinsler uh, was, you know, he he's a solid solid closer, uh, and that's what warranted him going to Washington and becoming the great closer in 2017. 29 saves and 35 opportunities. Uh, during that year in 2017, and then last year, obviously, not great. Uh, going from Washington to Chicago um, with a combined 4-6 ERA in 70 games. Uh, 19 holds, though, uh, you know, a measly two saves and five opportunities. But I think if he can get back to 2016-2017 self, you know, his spring training has been all right. He's gotten over six ERA, but, you know, he's only pitched four innings. So, uh, you know, that doesn't really matter necessarily. Uh, But, you know, I think, for a guy that, you know, if, if stuff goes haywire, you know, CJ doesn't do well, uh, Steve Ciszek, it just doesn't work for whatever reason. I don't think Brandon Kinster is the worst option because he's been in these opportunities before. What do you think about Kinster, Max? And then uh, let's get into the last segment of the show. Um, 
I agree with you. I mean, when we traded for him, I kind of thought like he would be um, implemented, I guess, into the closure role a little bit, um, just because mm-hmm. Morrow Morrow was injured, and I wasn't like necessarily really sure what to think about Strope. But I mean, really, it's not a it's not a bad option. But um, like I said, kind of about Maples, he just have to prove himself, like that what he showed last year isn't actually what he is. Yeah, definitely. So now we're going to get into an ad. I believe it is the Pins Trip ad uh, for the third time of the day, but uh, bear with us, and then we're going to get into a cup of mystery here and a Ramos Tune in this Wednesday to Pins Trip Talk at 5 o'clock. We go over everything going on in the land of the New York Yankees. We discuss Aaron Hicks and a lingering back injury and what it could mean to begin the season for the Bombers. We talk about Luis Severino being out until at least May 1st, and how that affects the Yankees' rotation now and going forward. And finally, we talk about Major League Baseball and the rule changes that will affect the 2019-2020 seasons and beyond. All this and much more going on in the land of New York Yankees. All this and more on Pinstripe Talk, Wednesday, 5 o'clock. Be there, Yankee fans. All right, welcome back into the 11th episode of the IV here uh, with our last segment of the show. If you have any last burning questions or comments, make sure you call the show via number 845-277-9345. That's 845-277-9345. And Max, today we're going to be talking about Ramos Ramirez. And last week we talked about Derek Lee. I had fun doing that, and Ramos Ramirez was a player that, uh, like Derek Lee, I always looked up to uh, when I was young uh, on those years uh, with the Cubs, also along with Carlos Zambrano. I don't know if you remember him, uh, but those were kind of the faces of the Cubs uh, when I was in grade school. Uh, What's your memory of those guys? Because I know you're a couple years younger than me. Um, I mean, I don't remember as much. Like you said, I'm a few years younger than you, but um, I mean – like, obviously, my dad had, like, really had told me a lot. Like, he was – Ramos Ramirez was actually my brother, my older brother's favorite player for 10 years that he – I mean, the 10 yeah. years that my brother really paid attention to baseball, he doesn't as much now. But, um, I mean, Carlos Zambrano – Yeah, Carlos Zambrano. Yeah. I mean, Derek Lee, like, I know a lot better. He's, like, um, probably – he's probably, like, my all-time favorite Cub. Um, he was a little later than if I'm not, yeah, he played here in 2000. What was it? 2008 was a Ramos year then in the 2008 yeah, Ramos, season. Yeah. Ramos left, uh, if it's my memory, right. Yeah. Ramos left in 2011, uh, to Milwaukee. So yeah, Derek Lee, Derek Lee was here for like an overlap of like four years there. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I, can, I have a, I have a poster, um, it, show, it has, the. Uh, 2008 season of Ted Lilly, um, Aramis Ramirez, Derek Lee. I don't, I don't even remember who else was on that team. Zambrano. Yeah, Zambrano. Zambrano was great, man. I mean, that yeah, team. He, yeah. I want to do, I mean, do a couple of BSC or maybe next year we can do Carlos Zambrano. Yeah. But um, yeah. So as for Aramis, uh, right now he's currently 40 years old. Uh, he'll turn 41. He'll turn 41 in June. 
Uh, he played in MLB for a lengthy 18 seasons. Uh, he was on three different teams, and it just so happened that all those teams were in the NL Central. Uh, he started with the Pirates back in 98, uh, was traded to the Cousins in 03, and that's when he was 25 years old. Uh, and went to Milwaukee when he was 34 years old in 2012, where, um, you know, luckily, uh, for the sake of us being rivals with the Brewers, but also kind of sad uh, to see his career kind of go by the wayside the last three to four years there. Um, but, you know, here are some notable season stats for around this that I found. Um, and, you know, here we go. So he didn't become an everyday player until 2001, uh, as his first three seasons consisted of playing in 72, 18, and 73 games, respectively. Uh, also, 2001 was the first of seven years in which Ramirez had a batting average of at least 300. Uh, from 2004 to 2008 were kind of the golden years that the Cubs for Aramis' career. Um, he finished 10th in MVP voting in 2004. That was his first time ever being kind of mentioned in MVP talks. He went on later to – he never won the MVP, but uh, I think I think he was uh, in three or four – uh, MVP talks uh, with voting. Um, and in 2004, the first year of his MVP notice, uh, he had 36 home runs, over 100 RBIs, a 318 batting average, which was his best of his career, um, and sporting a 578 slugging number. Um, but I'll let you talk about a few of the other stats, Max. Yeah, so um, where where were you at? The sl- were you at the Silver Slugger Award yet? Uh no, I was uh, two, in two thousand five. Uh, I'll say yeah. Oh okay. Okay, so in two thousand five, Aramis went to his first All Star game, um, and then again in two thousand eight and two thousand fourteen with Milwaukee, and then from two thousand six to two thousand eight, he finished seventeenth, thirteenth, and tenth, respectively, in MVP voting, in which he had thirty eight homers and one hundred nineteen RBI in two thousand six. Um, he then won the Silver Slugger Award in 2011, in which he was 33 years old, where it was his last year as a Cub before he came a before he became a Brewer. His last three seasons of his career weren't all that great, as he had a sub 250 batting average in all of those years and didn't top 17 homers in any of the last five years of his career. Um, Thomas, I'll let you get into the the last little bit. Um, you saw him play more than I did I mean I don't remember that much I mean I remember like seeing him on TV maybe a few times but I don't have all that great memory so you can get into the last little bit yeah so as for um, like I kind of mentioned before um, it was tough for the Cubs fan to see uh, him go to Milwaukee uh, because you know it was during a time in which uh, in 2011 Aramis Ramirez had uh, a 306 average. Uh, he hit 26 home runs. was just shy of 100 RBIs. And, you know, he goes to Milwaukee when he's 34 years old. Uh, and actually, kind of coincidentally, he plays in the same number of games that he did in 2011, 149 games. And in that year, uh, Ramos Ramirez had a career 50 doubles in 2012 with the Brewers. Uh, it was the most of any in his career. Uh, his second highest was 40 back in 2001 when he became an everyday player, uh, like I mentioned before. Uh, so that, that 50 doubles was just terrible to see as a Cubs fan, you know. And then he has a 300 average. He hits 27 home runs. He gets up to 105 RBI. 
and he finished ninth in MVP voting in 2012, his first year with Milwaukee, 34 years old. And, you know, everyone's thinking at this point, you know, what were the Cubs thinking, you know? Uh, you know why did they keep this guy? And all of a sudden, everything kind of just went haywire. And uh, like like Max mentioned, um, he didn't top 17 homers the last five years of his career. Um, and also didn't even – the most RBI he had in, in any of those five years was 2015. Uh, with both the uh, Milwaukee Brewers and the Pittsburgh Pirates. He only had 75 RBIs. That was the most of any of his last five seasons. Uh, so like I said, uh, it was definitely hard. You know, probably my favorite player ever on the Cubs uh, or Car- Carlos Zambrano to see him go to Milwaukee because of his great time in Chicago. It was really too bad um, that it didn't end, like, necessarily too great for his career. Not that there's any, like, bad feelings. Uh, towards the Ramis, uh, like now necessarily, um, but it's probably a good thing that he struggled in those last five years in Milwaukee, um, because if he hadn't, for all we know, people would dismember him as a Brewer and forget about his great years as a Cub. But now it's kind of seen as his prime was as a Cub, and uh, it always will be that way. Yeah, I mean, so you did say I did catch a mistake earlier on you, Thomas. Uh, you said he had his high was forty doubles, uh, which was with Pittsburgh in two thousand one. Well, he had he had the fifties. He had the fifties yeah, in the first year 40, in Milwaukee. But other than forty, he had forty four with the Cubs in two thousand eight. Oh, okay, I did miss that. Yep, I see yeah. that. Yeah, which was but still, which was yeah, also fifty. I mean, yeah, I mean fifty. How many did Javi have last season? It was like mid forties. I think it was 44. Um, was it 44? I can check. Maybe it was 46. Here, I got uh, it right One here. of those numbers. It was right. 40. 40. Wow. Okay. I thought he had more than that. But that just goes to show. I mean, yeah, like 50. Yeah, 50 double. I mean, like, I remember, like, every time Javi hit a double, I was like, oh, my gosh, there's another one. Like, 50? That's, like, 10 more doubles. Like, which doesn't I mean, seem think- like that many, but still. So, yeah, 162 games, you do that by 50. Uh, Aramis Ramirez averaged a double every three and a quarter games, which yeah. is just nuts. Oh, my gosh. That's like every series you'd see, like, Aramis Ramirez on second base. Right? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, it's really crazy, though, when you think about it, that how how much he declined after that uh, 2012 season. Like, if he hadn't declined, he would be seen as such a traitor and, like, come stands with Hayden, you know what I mean? But now it's yeah. like everyone yeah. realizes that, like, his prime was with the Cubs and, like, he was, like, still good. Obviously, 2012 was good. And, like, I don't mean to bat it because uh, he, was, he was great. Um, he was great with the Cubs. Uh, and honestly, he wasn't like terrible with the Brewers. Uh, he just wasn't hitting, you know, 100 RBI and 30 home runs a year. Uh, but he really could have been seen as not a good name for uh, for the Cubs after he left. Um, the one thing I wanted to do, Matt, I don't know if Benson talked about it, um, but Benson, I'm going to bring you on right now. Um, and sorry for like no, no uh, heads up, 
But do you remember anything about Aramis Ramirez as a pirate? I know that Matt asked you earlier, and I didn't see your text. Um, but do you remember anything? Uh, can you conclude anything about him as a pirate coming out in 98 or uh, maybe when he left to Chicago? Yeah, I mean, the memories from, like, 98 to 2003 are very vague, if any at all. But the real Aramis hmm. Ramirez that I remember is – when he was traded to the the Pirates in 2015, uh, when they went on their 98 win season, uh, obviously he was at the decline of his career at that point. He retired following the 2015 season, and really I just remember him as a doubles hitter. As you guys were talking about, like when he was on the Brewers, when the Brewers would dominate the Pirates every single season, he'd just be on second base, felt like every game. So. If there's, like, one word to describe Ramos Ramirez, it's definitely the double. And then it, it was nice to have him back in 2015. Yeah, and thanks for coming on, Benson, um, and shedding some light on that because I honestly kind of just just skipped. Uh, I forgot he went back to Pittsburgh. Um, he only did play 56 games there uh, and sported a 245 average. Nothing special. Uh, only six home runs there and shy of 40 RBIs. But, uh, you know, I, I, it is important to uh, shed light on that. He did retire as a as a pirate, um, which uh, you know, even though his prime of his career was with Chicago, uh, he did start in Pittsburgh, and it was kind of cool to see him go back there. Uh, you have any last thoughts on Ramos Ramirez? Maybe you want to go through those uh, career stats and career averages, Matt, and then we can wrap it up. One, so Thomas, did you like like how big were you in like? into baseball in 2008. Like, do you remember, like, a lot about that or not? So, like, I I probably got really into baseball when I was, like, 12 or 13. So, just because, like, I don't know, probably the same for you. I mean, like, I just wasn't uh, – I guess, like, you don't really have, like, that capability as an eight-year – because I was eight years old. I was born in 2000. Okay. Uh, like you don't have the capability of like an eight year old, you know, to be talking about like slugging and on, on base percentage and like, uh, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So like, I remember watching the Cubs. That's for sure. Um, I didn't have like MLB TV, and since so I lived in Minnesota, um, yeah. Like I would just, I would only watch them like on basically televised games, but I would always watch them when they were on, and like I'd always pay attention to like the scores and stuff as well. Okay, so the reason I asked you that is because in 2008, I found this, like, I didn't even, like, I don't know I, I don't know if you'd remember this or not. I mean, like, it was okay. probably, like, around one of, okay, I'll just tell you. So on June 20th, in the bottom of the ninth inning during the first game of the 2008 Crosstown Classic against the White Sox, Ramirez hit his second homer of the day for a walk-off. He went off for a homer in each of the two next games in that series, which I found interesting, like, like, it's super random, but, like, in the 2008, because that was, like, one of their best years in, like, the past, like, before 2015, like, the, like the stretch of, like, 2007, I don't remember what it was exactly, but the stretch of, like, 2007 to 2014 was just miserable, like, other than the 2008 season. Like, there wasn't a super good season other than that, was there? For the for Ramos, the two thousand no, just season? just for the Cubs in general. No, yeah, we were god awful. Yeah, I was, yeah. I mean, which is crazy because like you think about it, like Derek Lees and Brano, Ramos Ramirez, 
uh, all those other guys that we had that I can't remember the names off the top of my head, but obviously I remember them. Uh, you know, it's pretty impre- pretty crazy how we couldn't have had a better record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't remember exactly the Rama Smith walk-off. I'm actually watching it right now. Uh, it doesn't look familiar to me. So uh, it was off of Scott Weinberg. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember it, though, to answer okay. the question. Right. And uh, before we leave, I just want to go over a few career games for him, your career stats. Uh, Ramos played the whopping 2,194 career games, had 386 career home runs, over 1,400 RBI, an impressive career average of 283, and on base of over 340. For a season averages, he was nearly at 30 home runs a year. He would have met that mark had it been, you know, not for those Milwaukee years at the end, uh, and averaged 105 RBI per season, which shows his consistency, especially when he was a shot or cub. Uh, Max, do you have any closing thoughts, anything before I close it out here on the podcast or Ramos Ramirez? No, not really. All right, so with that, that's going to wrap up our 11th episode of the IB Podcast here on March 17th. We look forward to seeing you guys next week on March 24th for our 12th episode. Spring training is rolling along, and Max, opening day is coming in the near future. It really is. Uh, the specific time will be to be determined, but we'll let you know via our Instagram throughout the week what time it will be. Also, just a reminder, my Instagram did, ter- did change uh, the username to at the Cubs Wave. Uh, once again, that's at the Cubs Wave. Max is still at Wrigley News. And lastly, as always, go Cubs go. Happy St. Patrick's Day. We hope that you have a relaxing rest of your holiday. Thanks, guys. Bipolar with the check. I just put some crazy around my neck. Go crazy with your The IV is produced by Benson Fector. The IV is a production of the Baseball Podcast Network. Be sure to give our hosts a follow on Instagram, Thomas, at the Cubs Wave, and Max, at Wrigley News. For more of the Ivy content, be sure to head over to our website at BaseballPodcastNet.com and follow the Baseball Podcast Network on all their social media platforms. Instagram, at BaseballPodcastNet. Twitter, at BaseballPodcast1. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-1. YouTube at Baseball Podcast Network and SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in to the Ivy. We'll see you next time.